0: Hi, this is Cyril Neely. I am the executive producer on Nickelodeon's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you are listening to the Shell Shock Podcast.
1: Hi, my name's Josh, and you're listening to the Shock podcast. It is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles podcast, the best one. This is episode six, and with me I have Andrew, Colton, Isaac, Karen, and Jeff. And tonight we're talking to Ciro Nelly, the executive producer of the current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, now airing on Nickelodeon in its second season. Before we begin uh how's things been since PowerCon
0: PowerCon was fun I think after that I can't remember was New York I think I did New York after PowerCon September, Right October yeah. yeah New York was really fun and then uh I don't know it's weird like you know everything's just the same generally day to day
1: Okay awesome, awesome I mean uh in the
0: what? in the turtle universe it's kind of just um it feels like everything's just constantly moving at the speed of light
1: <laughs> Yeah so it's, you, it's you, you sound exhausting. like you sound like you work 8 days a week
0: that and like you know, like I don't know. I started today at like seven ish, at least worrying about the show. And then because uh, what I did, like every two weeks I finish an episode, so and start a new one. So today was one of the days that I start to finish a show. Which I, oh, I finish wow. on. I do the I finish picture on Thursdays, and sound on a Friday. So I oh, finished all the picture stuff for a show today. So I nice. say every two weeks. So. It's alternating weeks. It's like one week you're finishing, the next week you're starting, and then everything in between is just spinning, making sure all the plates are spinning. Of like, kind of like, uh, well, now it's like two seasons overlapping, but sometimes it's three. Oh, wow. We're just making it so quickly. And, uh, the trick is kind of just, uh, you know, the the problem actually, not the trick, is that, I'm trying to make it kind of handmade. So there's a certain amount of carrying that the schedule uh, usually doesn't a lot for. So that's all, like, you pick that up on your own, you know. It's like,
2: oh.
0: it's noble work, I guess. <laughs> but the schedule right. doesn't reflect that, you know. It's kind of like, they see everything the same. And I'm not knocking them. It's just, that's just the way production is. It's like everything's even. You know, if you're making... If you're making one show in CG, then Turtles gets the same, uh, you know, infrastructure and scheduling, and but you know, you it's not necessarily relative, you know, right? I'll pay for so. they want it to be, but it's like you know, there's a, it's a big world. Turtles,
2: can I just I'm just gonna jump in there, not not as an official question or anything, guys, but uh, before this, were you did you have a lot of experience in the in the CG commercial or cartoon world? Previous
0: to this, no. or is this
2: any different than no, any I, show you've
0: done? No, for me, it's like no. I never did CG, and I was always curious about it. I wasn't like a CG hater, but I definitely have always seen it not as animation. Um, right. To me, CG—I mean, it's first of all, it, it's it's traditional versus digital animation. That's the first thing, and then so CG technically is digital stop motion to me. And uh, when I was in college, I did a bit of stop motion. So, to me, this is exactly what that was. Um, yeah. You know, so really you're awesome. dealing with performance and you're building puppets and you're building sets and you're lighting the sets. I mean, it's literally just digital uh, stop motion animation where, you know, to to me, CG, like, well, you know, when I have worked in 2D cartoons, those are like, those are CG 2D shows or what right. we used to call tradigital as a joke. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, as far as like, how do I, how did I, you know, approach it as a first project? I, you know, I, I wasn't really too concerned about it because, um, you know, I have a huge team of people that are specialized at every level, and they just need me kind of to guide them and lead them. So I'm kind of the the eye of the show, not the hands so much.
1: Mm,
2: nice. Um,
0: I do do a lot so. of the drawing though.
1: I know. I was, oh, yeah. They're, yeah, they're wonderful drawings, too. Thanks. But, uh, so I was thinking maybe to lead off in our, like, uh, all the questions that we had predetermined. Uh, we'd lead off with, uh, Andrew. He's got a pretty, uh, neat one, uh, regarding, like, source material and stuff like that. You want to go ahead and jump in, Andrew?
3: All right, sure. Um, well, hey, Cyril. I've, uh, I've made no bones in any circle of fans. That really, the only incarnation of the turtles that you know speaks to me as an adult now is the source material. I mean, obviously, I grew up on the the toys and the original cartoon, like everybody else. But basically, we're talking about the original Mirage comics. Now, I've tried to rewatch the original cartoon, and every time I do, I only get a few episodes episodes into it when the nostalgia kind of wears off, and I'm kind of unable to continue, even with the aid of right. alcohol. But uh, with the four kids show. Of which really carries no nostalgic value at all to me. Mm-hmm. It's even tougher to stomach for me because early on it, it involves pretty heavily, for lack of a better word, sort of uh, bastardized versions of the Mirage storylines that I do love. And now with the Nick show, you know, it's to me it's not like the real Ninja Turtles because that's the source material to me. It's, it's probably always going to be that way. But that said, right. it's easily hands down the most entertaining, well put together turtle show that I've seen. I mean, my my yeah. daughter's my daughter's six. We watch it together all the time, she swears by it, we sing the song, uh, we groove to it every time it comes on. I guess all this said, the the questions that I have uh, coming from me, they're coming as a Mirage fan, so I look at the show cool. and largely what I'm seeing is a lot of influences from like the Fred Wolf show, the toy line, and then a whole lot of new ideas that I'm assuming are coming from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, first question... Uh, Knowing what you know of what's to come, and without getting into any spoilers, will there be any significant kind of uniquely Mirage elements, storylines, or characters in the foreseeable future?
0: Um, Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's always, um, you mentioned a couple references there, like the toys and the Fair Wolf stuff. Um, Yeah, that stuff's a little bit, but I mean, we always, I mean, when we pull from stuff, we always look at the Mirage books solely. Um, We really don't really look at much else, to be honest. Um, That that being said, there's so many people on the crew. And and when I say that, I'm talking about myself and the other producers and the writing staff. Um, We're all the same age, and we all kind of feel a little bit like you do um, with where we're coming from. Um, Now, the rub is that, you know, commerce meets art, and at a certain point, you have to realize we're making a show for a giant conglomerate for children. and As much as I would love to exactly retell issues 1 through 12 or so of the Mirage book, it's kind of impossible. Uh, So, like, I'll pitch, uh, I'll pitch, like, uh, and I love 19 to 21, and I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll pitch, like, hey, so in season 5, in the last episode, can we have, uh, can we have Leo behead Shredder? Because they ask me, like, how's it going to end? It's like, well, we chop off Shredder's head. And they go, no! <laughs> it's like no. So, yeah, you know, as much as I love that, we can't do it. But is there a... There, there is a lot... I mean, we don't... I, I try not to think of it as bastardizing. I, I try to think of it as, like, doing our best to kind of just... It's not even homage. It's just there's a road that we can kind of follow, and then the rest we kind of have to kind of just do our best and, and hope that this thing kind of takes on its own voice. And, and it's easy because, you know, our core audience is like your daughter people who are yeah, you know, experiencing this for the first time, which is so great it's such a great advantage for us. Um you know, the way I feel about the rest of this stuff is it's pretty difficult. I I think you and I are very much the same in that uh I mean, you know, I, I, I've said this before and I'm not doing it to be a jerk, but it's like uh when I I was a huge Mirage fan as a kid. Uh I was there when the first book came out and then I, I raved about it and uh to all my friends, and they never believed me or understood what I was talking about and then and then one day, like the cartoon came out, and I remember being kind of like, "Great, now everyone's going to know what I was talking about, and then it happened, and I was mortified. you know it was like I was talking about that issue, one Mirage book, like one through at that point, it was like probably like one through six happened, or mo- probably more actually, because four years had gone by, and um it was probably up to about. 10 or 12 by then and uh, when that cartoon came out I, I, I was like what is this now it's not that it doesn't have it's own merit it's just that by comparison it was something that was completely different oh, yeah. it lived so, in it's so, own so. world as like something else altogether, and I didn't understand it. I mean they swapped out all the cool stuff for just pizza really and I didn't understand yeah. it Um, you know and I was into being a ninja and stuff like that I was crazy and uh, you know you look at it and you go there's no ninjas and it's just they got they they say corny stuff and they yeah. eat pizza I don't, I don't get what this is and then and then the like you said the four kids thing was even more confusing to me I was older though at that point like it, I, you know yeah. it was after my time but then when I would look at it and go well what's you know they got so close to the source that it kind of just you know you're really losing me so I, I learned a lot from that and that you know what's What's the spirit of things, and and how do I evoke that and put that into a show and make it work? Um, Honestly, the closest thing I think that really works for me was was the live-action movie because, to me, that movie was wildly successful. It was able to kind of cross the bridge between Mirage fans and the young kids that were liking the the, the Fred Wolf cartoon, and it was still a family product. But, um, you know, it walked that line, and it was a little hard and dark. The fight scenes were a little goofy. But uh some of the fighting was really good too, though, so you know we 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 do look to the movie tonally a lot too, and a lot of times that movie comes to our defense but I mean it's hard like i just got uh I'm finishing the finale for season two, and I got a load of notes that are just you know that are you know without saying too much they're they're a little alarmed at how adult we're becoming you know there is a there's a little bit of loosening up. Like, you know, when we first started, it was straight. I mean, there was there was actually this idea when we first started that the show would be straight up like a comedy sitcom. And I kind of fought that tooth and nail a little bit. And um, because I came from action and I thought it always needed to be action, I'm also funny. So it's like we can do funny in action just fine. Um, this is not a sitcom, you know, where it's shot with four cameras like I Love Lucy. Yeah. Um, Along the way, you know, we get to the end of season two and it's like, you know, it, I, I would love to do the Leo one shot and get into Ooh, that yeah. kind of stuff. And everybody's just kind of like, you know, I just got the notes today and they're, they're pretty alarmed. With, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a constant struggle, uh, you know, and you have to find balance. And I agree, too. You know, I worked on shows that have gotten a little dark and you kind of lose your core kids audience. So you got to be careful. Um, they are, you know, we. I, I, I'm aware of, that I'm making a show for children. Yeah.
3: Well, it seems like a good marriage of, like, the humor and the action. You know, you say you're pushing the envelope. I, I can see that, and, you know.
0: It, well, you yeah, know, you haven't seen what's to come. I mean, there's some really great episodes coming up. I mean, I think there was a lot of complaint. In the beginning, it was kind of like everyone was worried. Because I, I kind of see the Turtle fandom completely split apart. Like, there's a lot of divisions within Turtle Fandom that don't get along with each other. And <laughs> it's it a it to, it, to put it lightly.
3: That,
4: that's the most yeah. diplomatic answer I've heard for that. So welcome, yes. sir.
0: <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, it was kind of like everybody was against me. And then we came out of the gate, and it was like a lot of the Fred Wolf fans really liked me, which I thought was great. And then, But then the, the 2K3 people were upset with the show. And then I, I'm worried that, like, into season two, you're going to get, like... Hey, he forgot about us, Fred Wolf kids, and now he's just trying to appease the 2K3 people. So, you know, but it, but everyone just needs to kind of understand it's 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 neither of those things. This is its own thing, and you know, it is what it is. And we're trying our best to kind of tell the stories that need to be told and, and evolve these characters in the way that we can. I mean, at the end of the day, there's only so much we can do that's straight canon. That's constantly arcing. That where you end up losing your audience. You know, it's hard. Like you, you do kind of want a little bit of modularity, so that you can kind of just tune in at any time and check out the show and, and become a fan of it.
5: Yeah, I
3: mean, I, I mean, if I were you, I, w- I wouldn't look too hard at the at the fandom because, as you said, it's it's very divisive. And we have one group that's like, you know, when does Beep Up and Rocks today show up? Another group is like, yeah, he doesn't like Four Kids, the Four Kids show, and you know. Got, like, yeah, I mean man. I
0: I I get it, trust me. Yeah. It's I get I get one day I get an email about why the fuck isn't old hob there. <laughs> then I get day and Bebop. Yeah, and then yeah. I get, you know, you should watch the you know, the lonely uh you, you should watch that I forget what it was called, that, that Baxter Stockman episode that was banned. That's the real oh. stuff. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> where's Venus and Milo? <laughs> nah, just,
4: just
0: Yeah, where's just, Venus and Milo? I got that too. It's like I get I get all of that. You know, Colton, we're crazy. voting you Jesus. off
4: the podcast. <laughs> hey, someone, someone had to say it. <laughs> just
3: just do you man you're doing a good job All right,
0: my, yeah thank you
3: my second and final question to keep this moving um, kind of a nitpicky question uh, I've been wondering this for a while uh, wondering why you went with Karai as Shredder's daughter instead of Pemiko. Because Karai was, you know, as you know, created to be Shredder's boss, out of the whole Foot clan in Japan and the world, and a pretty strong leading lady on her own didn't need any ties to Shredder, whereas Pemiko was absolutely created to be his daughter, although they didn't really quite ever definitively confirm her parentage, but it kind of looked like she was. I'm just curious.
0: Well, we just kind of went with it. I mean, there was no real decision made. We just looked at it and went, let's just go with Karai. I mean, we also switched up the whole thing. Like, that kind of came around the same time we were going, like, should Hamato Yoshi be a man or should he be the yeah. rat of the brother of the, you know, like, you know, and it's all about, like, clarity and sometimes, like, Kamiko isn't as interesting. I mean, you know, the Karai name sounds cooler, even though it's strange to me because it means spicy. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you know what I mean? It's like, again, it's like it's it's its, its own thing, you know? I mean... There's other things. I mean, there's so many things like that that sometimes there's no right or wrong decision, just decisions. You just got to keep moving. Yeah. And you'll find that, like, what's more important is execution and taste than it is about, like, really harping on, you know, which direction do we go and, you know, getting thrown off by that. Because, I mean, the other thing I had to do, like, you know, without giving away too much... uh. Uh, I've been so immersed in making this show from the ground up from a very early stage like, you know, like a year one kind of place where it's like no one even knows what a turtle is and as you... And and, it, and it's coming from a place of, you know, very much Mirage Volume 1, those early issues. Not even getting into City at War and all that stuff. And and I'm sitting there going like, okay, well now we're at the point where we need to start seeing Triceratons. And it's like...
3: Yes.
0: Well, Jesus, Triceratons have been happening forever, and like, how do I catch up on what's happened with Triceratons? Or do I even care? And it's like, and it's a, it's it's a fine line. It's like it's a little bit of everything, actually. You do have to go and read up on stuff and and see what happened in the other cartoons, and then you go like, well, maybe I shouldn't have just seen that because it's just that was a bad idea. And it's just it's huge. The world's really big, and there's there's a little bit of joy sometimes in just. Looking at something and and taking what my nostalgic memory of is more, and kind of just executing it in good taste and and like and and for story, you know what I mean, like just kind of going with what works at that time. Um, and sometimes, you know, I worked I worked for DC for a while. You know, I, I was on Teen Titans and stuff, and we worked with the Justice League guys too. And 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 you know, sometimes you'd be surprised, like. Those those guys, you know, we'd be working on Teen Titans, and we would do fantastic four stories, because to me those were those stories were the, the Marvel stories were cooler. So sometimes it's just kind of what you feel like telling instead, and, and personal stories rather than it is about you know canon or existing canon, which is even more confusing. Definitely, a, I know. Definitely but but the, the entire turtle, the entire turtle fandom, just just screamed at once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs>
1: yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been screaming, but it's been it's been good screaming from this end for the most part.
0: So. it seems like everybody's generally been happy. I mean, you know, in the beginning, yeah, I kind of resolved myself to go like, well, you know, I can't make every, I I never can make everyone happy. That's always the case. And. No, and that's... Just the turtle fans that. are are way more complicated, and I don't <laughs> know even how to begin to make all those people happy. So I was like, well, let's just do it, you know. I, I, I a can lot of
3: those. I don't know if a lot of these people are actually happy in life, let alone like anything else.
0: But that's, that's just me.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Andrew,
2: you know that uh, yeah, we we've, we've gone we've been going through this film for what six years. Yeah. Uh, trying to make the documentary about the turtles, and it's. it's Trying to make everybody happy. <laughs> so, and actually, sadly, Zero, uh, we never got a chance to to interview you for the film. And I think your office—I don't know if you've seen it, but I know your office has seen it. But the um, this is the documentary, the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, wow! Like no, s- I haven't seen it. Six years now, but we couldn't at last year. Uh, last year, or the year before, we couldn't do interviews with you guys because we weren't allowed yet. <laughs> but, Jeez. but that was all above the board over at Nickelodeon but that's all good now, um
0: yeah,
2: anyway, uh sorry, guys, I didn't mean to throw that in there, but the uh the are, are you going on to the next question, Colton, or where are we going next or sorry who's 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 hosting again
1: hi uh, my myself josh here josh sorry Josh, <laughs> I can quiet in the corner no no, no worries oh, um actually I was gonna, uh, I was gonna, you know, play around with the order a little bit, and I was gonna see uh, Karen if you wanted to throw your question out there.
4: Oh yeah, that's it. Throw me to the wolves, guys. <laughs> that's fine. I will. Um, Just, hey,
1: hey, we're all warm and fuzzy right now, so you gotta. That's go. true.
4: That's true. I want to get in here before the blood starts to spill. Zero, um, I, Ciro, I, <laughs> I was actually in New York, and so I got to see the turtle presentation in New York. Um, so my my comments for you are this. Which, I which actually which the, the,
0: the recent the recent one.
4: Yeah, yeah, the, the most the recent New York, York Comic Con,
0: okay. where,
4: and I have to, I have to look up his name because I'm a horrible person and I, I don't know it off the top of my head. Hoon Lee, where they had Hoon Lee read a description from a menu, and it was
0: uh-huh.
4: hands down one of the funniest things I have seen in a really long time. Um,
0: I know Hoon's hilarious.
4: Yeah, i I started on the original cartoon, and like Andrew, the Mirage stuff is my favorite. So when the the sale to Nickelodeon went through, it really kind of it was a little. It was a little weird for a while. I'll admit it. I, my heart was kind of broken, but I'd seen some of the fantastic work that Nickelodeon Studios has been doing animation-wise. So yeah. when when I heard you guys were making a new tune, I was really, really, you know, hopefully optimistic. And you guys have really knocked it out of the park. I mean, again, I'm a die-hard Mirage guy, and that's the best version of Splinter I think I have ever seen. Is your Splinter is absolutely Aww. fantastic.
0: I know. That was the first big change that I decided to make. I was I was alone in a room. I remember the night I drew that. I was like, oh, here I go. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the development for this show, It's I just hit my four-year anniversary working on this show. So the way it went was about a year I was alone in a small little shoebox room just drawing. And every day they'd be like, okay, now draw what you think April should look like. And that, that's kind of how that was going for a long time, and then it became okay. Now hire some of your friends and have them draw <laughs> New York, and then, and then, I, then I had two or three people for like another year, and then, and then, I mean, it's very complicated. We made a pilot, and then we got greenlit, and then it was years of production. But in the beginning, it was myself alone and doing like these concept sheets, just like you guys have seen some of the cons. Like you know, I might have a concept sheet for like. uh I don't know, like a Neutralizer or a Casey Jones, like way, way back in the day, I had those for Michelangelo and everybody else um, in its infancy. Uh, you know, and it, it was it was strange to... In the beginning, I remember... I mean, I don't want to... I'm kind of like going off on a tangent, but <laughs> there was... Trust me, like, I, I'm, I'm very aware of what you're saying because I've worked in animation for a long time and I, I've been lucky enough to keep working and every time a Turtles project has happened... Uh, while I've been active, there's been, actually, the Fair Wolf stuff was happening, and then uh, the 2K3 thing happened, and then the Emoji movie came out. All those times, I- I've been working on other projects, and I go, well, you know, I miss Ninja Turtles again, maybe next time. Uh, but I've always kind of looked at it fondly from afar, going, like, I'm not even going to look at it because I'm scared of what they did to it.
5: Like I've always had well, that, and
0: it's not, and I'm not trying to knock the people both. that were making it because everybody you know it's again it's commerce meets art, they're doing something for a reason, they're fighting they're it's kind of like swimming upstream, there's all these obstacles, things end up becoming what they are for a lot of reasons, but it doesn't it's still hard for me because I've been burned since since I was a kid because mm-hmm. to me, the only thing that I thought was kind of decent was the live action film after the Mirage stuff.
3: I, th- yeah. I, th- I think I think Blade put it best. What did he say?
1: Some motherfuckers always try to ice skate uphill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Hi>.
4: <laughs> I have no response for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the 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 question I have now that I've buttered you up, um, I tell you that I love the character designs. I love the voice cast. It blows my mind that uh, Sean Astin and Jason Biggs are doing as well in animation as they are. Um, but my question for you is, I have, again, been a fan of the Turtles since the the mid-'80s. Uh, you know, I'm a woman of a certain age now who has far more Ninja Turtle mer- memorabilia than a woman of a certain age should have. So I feel it's kind of my duty as the token chick to ask whether or not, without getting spoilery, are we gonna get another female character on the show? Is season two of Turtles going to pass the Bechtel
0: test? Um I mean Or if nothing Karai else, do we get April, a really
4: get a re- do we really get a good fight? Another good fight between Karai, oh, Karai and mean, April.
0: I mean Karai I mean it's funny I, without getting too deep into it, I feel like Karai becomes a bigger part of the show than a lot of the other stuff in the show right now. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's just, I mean, it's hard to really explain what happens. I mean, there's so much and I keep stuttering because I'm like, ah, oh, don't say that. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, but, um, I mean, to have M- we talked about this girl showing up? Freaking- I, I yeah. I have talked about other girls showing up on the show with you know me and the writing staff uh how often they're in it and how much they will replay. I don't know, definitely not as much as April or karai um well, but you know to, you know here here's the thing about these action shows in general is that and, and this happens all the time, and it's it's basically anytime a girl's on the show, they're usually too powerful. And it's just the nature of a girl. For some reason, I don't know what it is. I mean, this happened on Teen Titans. Like, we had trouble kind of limiting Starfire and Raven's powers. Um, it happens with Wonder Woman. It happened on my Super Robot Monkey show with this character named Jin May. It's just like, and I'm afraid I, I've been fighting it with April, with where we're yeah. going with her, is to not, you know, to not let her get too powerful.
5: Yeah.
0: You know, and it's hard. Like, sometimes guys are a lot cooler and easier to deal with. <laughs> in these cartoons. So, I mean, the fact that we have a good girl and a bad girl already, I think we're kind of maxed out a little bit. Yeah. Um, that being said, Sipes keeps... like I mean, Sipes bugs me on a daily basis to get him a girlfriend on the show.
4: <laughs> Somehow that doesn't period. surprise me. Sometimes I wonder if he goes home and, and, like, someone has to talk him down. No, dude, you're you're really not Michelangelo. He's, I mean, he's fantastic. Every time I've seen him, he's... Always off the wall, but but yeah, true.
0: Fantastic. I mean, I,
4: I th- yeah, I think that I think that might wipe me out.
0: I mean, do you want do you want do you want us to put in Venus Milo or mm-hmm. Mona Lisa? Um,
4: I well, <laughs> I'm I I like Mona Lisa and Ninjara from the old Archie the old Archie books, but I have Nin- a feeling Ninjara, Ninjara might be might be a little hard to get to, and Mona Lisa's already got. I mean, she was originally voiced by. April's voice actor's mom, right? That's May Whitman's mom was the original Mona Lisa voice actress from the Fred yeah, Wolf that's cartoon. Right. Um,
6: I'll, I'll, I'll say this about Venus. Only do it if you can do it right. If you can't do it right, don't do it.
3: I mean, I could well, see I, a female right. turtle
6: being... Well, that's,
0: that's, kind, of the, that's the kind of the rule for everything. It's like, if we can't do it in good taste and justify it and have it go somewhere cool, then we just scrap it.
5: Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I find car- that...
4: Sorry, go ahead. <laughs>
0: I mean, sometimes, like, you know, you asked me the question earlier, I think someone like Pimiko might be kind of interesting, you know, to do something with the whole, like, no, I'm the daughter, no, I'm the daughter. I mean, there could be something there, but if I don't need it, it's like, I don't know if we need to go there, you know what I mean? Like, uh, there's a lot of characters that kind of fall by the wayside, like like Ace Duck. Like, what the hell am I going to do with Ace Duck? Um, those characters sometimes we use in ways that are just really funny Oh. Um, we just give them cameos and make it something terrible happen to them. Um, cause there is, there's so much to, I mean, between the Archie comics and all the cartoons and the, com- and, and all the movies and live action shows and stuff. I mean, you, there's, I'm not sure how many characters exactly, but I, I have a list of all the characters that we're legally allowed to use and it's hundreds. I mean, yeah. it's hundreds of characters. I look at the list going like, I don't know what half of this stuff is. I literally don't. Because, you know, I didn't follow The Adventures that much. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't follow 2K3 that much. Sometimes I look at it and I'm baffled by it. Uh, Um, There are some characters that strike me as interesting, and I go, like, well, let me me look into this guy, and if I don't know what it is, I'll reread old comics, or I'll watch the old cartoon and, like, find it, like, whether it's on YouTube or on my DVD set, and then I go, well, you know, there's something there that we can use. But um, for the most part, like, we have so much of a foundation with what we kind of set up, that it's like we can kind of run from here and not introduce anything, you, if we wanted to.
2: I have to, I have to segue in there. Because this is totally ties into one of my. Sure. The in in the in the time that we've been digging through uh, archives, which are yet to to come out in the film, um, I've gone through a ton of unreleased toy designs, and I noticed that. You utilize an unreleased design with that neutralizer. If correct if I'm wrong. So that's what you named him—the neutralizer, that
0: lizard nuke thing that was in the last season. There, uh, that was that was totally was that, was designed. That Steve, was that was that Steve Levine? I forget who that was. Uh, it was Ryan Brown. Was Ryan it was it not a Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Brown?
2: Brown? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was exactly. Ryan Brown.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that about. I didn't know about that till after I did it. Like, I mean, I don't have access to that stuff, and I don't look for it. So, I, I after I had the neutralizer out, uh, actually, Toka hit me up and showed it to me, which was kind of huh. cool.
3: Toka's a good man.
0: yeah No, I wasn't. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get inspired by that. Actually, what's funny that that neutralizer is actually a character that I came up with when I was twelve. No way. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I have, I have like super dumb drawings of that character from when I was 12. Yeah. And I, and I thought like, I thought like, oh, okay, here I go. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm gonna finally use them because it was a Ninja Turtle character. It was like spy you know, it was an anthropomorphic giant salamander. I was really into newts when I was a kid and reptiles and stuff. And, uh, I had that character and I was also into the Punisher and stuff. So I, I drew it up and I thought okay I'm going to just use that design straight up because I'm in a hurry and I went through my files and boxes of drawings from when I was a kid I found it I go yeah I can't use this <laughs> it's like, it's, I gotta redraw it now like uh, but it was funny like I put them side by side it's pretty interesting and then yeah and then after all that happened um, took a freak down and was like Ryan Brown drew this I saw it it's pretty cool it's like a he's like cyborg he has like a jointed robo-leg and stuff
2: that was that was a thing they had to draw like that, obviously. They had to have two different legs. Yeah. But like so you so so you mentioned this list of, of stuff. So you're you're are you interested in pulling that kind of like this, this toy universe of of just off the wall stuff that never made it or I don't
0: yeah, I mean I don't have that stuff though on my that's the thing. I don't I don't know I don't know like that I don't think that stuff's on the list. the, the list that I'm referring to is more of a list of legally what fell into the Nick deal. I think mm-hmm. what you're talking about is probably just, like, just lost in the annals of, like, playmates somewhere. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I can have a conversation with them and be like, hey guys, can you pull out, like, a dead file for me? And I can look through that. But, um, you know, I talked yeah. to token. He wanted, like, who's the one guy, um, uh, jeez, what is his name? It was, uh, there's, there's, there, it's, it's the Tokas, then there's, like, the Warhol guy. What was his name? Uh, there's all these, like, little evil turtles. I'm spacing out on what their names are right now. Slash. Slash. No, not Slash. It was, th- there's, there's, there's he a must- guy named uh, something no. Warhol.
3: Me- Mecca Turtle? No.
0: No. I, I don't know all Warhol. Yeah. These are all dead toy ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's super obscure. Like, you would only... Toka only knows this stuff. I,
4: I was going to say, uh, you've just completely stumped an entire <laughs> chat room full of Ninja Turtle games. Yeah, I'm a little impressed right now.
0: The, the
2: realm, I wish the realm, I had it. Yeah, the realm you're going into, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and we actually... Yeah, I I can show you some stuff that came out of the garage of, of former Playmate executives that were stuff that was thrown out. It was... Nobody even knows this. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it it's. Really awesome. Yeah, yeah. My 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 favorite. I mean, was it definitely- was
0: literally there was literally a character that was like Slash or Toka, there was another character like him, yeah. And he had a little sidekick that oh, instead of Andy Warhol, it was like Snappy Warhol, right? Yeah. And it was and I remember it was Terrapin. It was Terrapin. And snappy, I can't remember the other guys. There was like another guy I think like that.
2: To go even to go even more left field, there was even a time before the toys were released where the show and the toys would have had a godlike face that was built into the sewer lair wall that only Splinter could talk to. That was actually part of Playmates original design. <laughs> that, uh, Whoa, but then evolved into a, it, it evolved into a Jabba the Hut type character that was built into the playset, and then they just said, "No, we can't have." characters is built into the play set so we found the designs for those they're pretty incredible pretty
0: incredible i think the you i think be, uh i think that guy ended up becoming it was it was the early genesis for for toka probably you must <laughs> yeah. go to the shrine of the Silva monkey
4: i was so just <laughs> thinking that <laughs>
2: exactly. Except, except this uh, this face would actually tell which of the bad guys would be put to death. So I don't think that would have oh, been geez. made it a very great television <laughs> show.
6: Hail Caesar.
2: Yeah. Um, totally unrelated question is um, I was lucky enough to, uh, on an unrelated note, I was lucky enough to do a tour of one of your animation studios up in. I'm the one guy in the podcast that hails from Canada. Um, that. Um, then I saw some of how your show is done and it's amazing. Really, really enjoyed that, that kind of, yeah, it, uh, pardon me? Was it Bardell? Yeah, Bardell, yeah. And um, yeah, just an amazing, amazing, uh, yeah, animation studio. What's it like kind of managing three different, so, or is it three different animation houses now that you're you're running? Like, how do you keep track of who's doing what and keep it consistent for that matter?
0: Well, I mean, you know, we build everything. We have the luxury of building stuff here and sending out just, for animation and then we also have the luxury of you know it's kind of not a luxury it's a curse but we can also when the footage comes back we can also fix it and reanimate it or through compositing like you know do some other things to it Um, so I mean I just finished the 34th episode today and that show had problems so you're looking at a show with 450 shots 200 of which we pulled back in Burbank and actually fixed here. So, yeah, it, it, how do I kind of keep control of it? I don't really. I just cross my fingers, and when it gets totally screwed up, my life becomes a disaster for about a month. And that happened wow. on, that happened on this show, and it happened on the one, two previous. So, I'm a little stressed out. <laughs> Right now, uh, it happens. I mean, sometimes you'll get a show where it's like, okay, well, this is easy. We'll fix fifty shots here, and then you'll get a show where it's like two hundred and twenty shots. Okay, how are we doing this? <laughs> but you know, it's, Damn. Uh, but you know, the beauty of Nickelodeon, which uh, no other studio does this, is all the characters, all the sets are built here. All the lighting's done here. All the texture work is done here. Um, wow. We. Don't do all the props. Uh, we do hero props, like if a character like Neutralizer has a gun or something, I try to fight to get it done as part of his design. But uh, you know, stuff like a you know a spoon or a bottle opener or a pizza, we we, we farm out. But um, you know, a lot of the other studios don't do that, and that's a huge thing because the amount of back and forth control that I have is epic. Like you know, my the guys modeling characters are you know. 20 feet away from me I can look over their shoulder and, and while they're doing it tell them you know something's off so Fantastic. I mean that's that's, so that's, that's 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 a big control that you have over you know that that allows you to kind of go out to a few studios and, and still have a certain amount of consistency because um, then the rest of it comes down to acting and that, that's really complicated so we send out really really exacting kind of animatics you know sometimes they have you know, upwards of five thousand drawings or more. That you know, for a twenty-two minute show, that kind of dictate all the acting beats. So,
2: so um, in, a, in a way, you're almost uh, keeping keeping
0: animation in America. Yeah, the Yeah, in a strange way, was. we we are doing more traditional animation than any other television production. Wow. Um, okay. We we produce we we produce animatics sometimes that are on to uh, like sometimes on twos. Uh, you know, a lot of it's, like, on force. I mean, I, I had yeah. a show at Disney, and it was done... It was a co-production I did in Japan, and uh, those shows all had a cap of... We, we used to call it cell count. I was only allowed to... I could only afford 4,750 drawings. My my storyboard animatics on video with, with sound effects built into them have more drawings than those episodes. So, it, it's wild, dude. Like, you know pretty intense amount of control and it's baffling. I have so many people helping me.
1: That's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's definitely
0: loved. I mean, and it goes wrong a lot and it's you want to put your head through the wall because it's a lot of work and you go like, it should be easier, but it's totally not. I think back in the Fred Wolf days, I think that show was kind of made by accident. Like, and you can tell because it's like all of a sudden there's like, you know, a skeleton hanging out of a parade, and you're like, What the hell is this?
1: <laughs> you're telling me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Isaac, uh, is, is that everything that you had to ask, or yeah? Well,
2: yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep my other questions to a day right now. <laughs> I want
1: to yeah, hear yeah, what everybody else has to ask. So, so, uh, so is Jeff here? He's been awfully quiet, yeah. Okay, here? there you are.
5: Yeah, yeah, hey. yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Hey. So what? Nice fellow like. Phil, Phil, uh, Phil Philadelphian here. What is it? I'm also, I'm from the Philadelphia area, like you.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I wish I was there, actually.
5: Yeah, I, uh, I've been, uh. Well, we can talk shop later, but, uh, anyway, my question is, uh, my question is, uh, like, I, I really love the tech, every, the tech every type, uh, outtakes you have the, the turtles doing in the show, um uh-huh. I was wondering that idea like I know that like some of that was sorta of like um inspired by the Teen Titans, but I was wondering where that where the idea for that in the turtles in the new turtle show uh
0: uh came from. Well, I mean to me it's like that stuff is you know, you can date it you you can go back in any direction and say it came from here or here. Um you know, at at the end of the day, so many people, it kind of annoys me, they call it anime, but even, even anime was born and raw out of being inspired by Disney, you know, with Tezuka and Adam, so you go like, er- everyone feeds off of each other, right? To me, when we were doing those big wild takes, it, it really just felt like I wanted to feel graphic, like a comic book, not even like anime, um... And it took some a while to weed out because a lot of the guys that you get that work in animation love anime and they'll do some of the some of the things that look a little more you know anime looking like the blushing and stuff. But but at the heart of it, we really wanted this thing to feel like like it was a hand drawn as much hand drawn as much as possible because to me the beauty of the Mirage comic was this thing that was kind of like like almost like a garage band. It was it was made by hand and it was dirty and it was punk rock and it was wrought of just two guys in their apartment and it was like you know, it had a two color cover and it was just kind of crappy like that, which was that was the beauty of it. And I think the more polished things like C G become, the farther away you got from it. So I, I really wanted to put things in the show that were two D as much as possible. Um it's become kind of like, you know, the the hugest burden, though, of the show is that in every show, we find places to put drawings, not just the way the characters react organically, but, you know, anytime there's a magazine or a web page or a product in the show, we try to draw a joke into it just so that there's, there's rewatch value and that the world becomes real. But um when we first started, uh you know, I did so many tests. Uh, to, to try and get that stuff to work. And I got I got lukewarm response on all of it. And, you know, it, it wasn't quite there yet. It was this fine line that we had to kind of find. Uh, a lot of people were telling me not to do it. A lot of people were hating on me and saying it was just Teen Titans. But, um, you know, I was a huge part of Teen Titans. I mean, a lot of that stuff that came from Teen Titans came from when I was there um, and with the same bunch of guys that I'm doing this show with. So... Um, it's just a natural extension of how we think. But but to me, it's all American. Uh, when we started this production, a lot of stuff we were actually looking at were early Disney cartoons, especially Goofy and Donald Duck. Um, you know, of course we like Tex Avery, but uh Donald Duck was actually a huge inspiration for a lot of the aesthetics of, like, just how the character's eyes moved and stuff like that. So it's funny that... And, and then, like, you know, things like... uh Sometimes the turtles, you know, like if you look at the early turtle comics, especially around issue four, five, and six, there's a lot of drawings of the turtles in there with giant round open eyes, like screaming. And, and it's like I was trying to get that scratchiness across too. So, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I think I just used the opportunity to kind of combat the anime comparisons, <laughs> which drove me crazy in the beginning. Um, it's all really just to hide the illusion that this thing is CG more than anything. And, and what's happened is, uh, you know, Canada especially, who, who, you know, is more cartoony than some of our other partners, uh, has done a really amazing job at just really kind of traditional face shapes kind of coming across through CG movement. Or I think no other I haven't really seen any other CG shows on T V do it. And honestly sometimes I get I get back footage that looks better than a lot of feature stuff I see. In
5: okay. terms of
0: performance.
5: Well, Alright. Well anyway, um actually just had an idea for another question. Um we were just talking about like our our hometowns and stuff and like that gave me another idea like um, I've, always wanted to see, I've always wanted to see a story where like, the Turtles go on some sort of road trip across the country. Would you ever think about doing something like that?
0: Uh, we do think about that. We think about a lot of things, but unfortunately, CG doesn't really support that kind of... I mean, think about just... I mean, without getting too much into it, I'm only allowed to build so many sets per episode. And when I say so many sets, I mean like two. So it's hard to drive cross-country with two not even locations, but two sets. Um, That kind of idea would have to become more of a bigger theme of a season, and we'd have to pre-build and kind of stockpile uh, enough time and money to build the assets and then roll it out in a strategic way. So unfortunately, like, Turtles Across America would be like season eight. (laughs) You know, like, let's do the whole season where we go to a different state truck stop. I mean, we're already, trust me, like the idea of turtles going into space and fugitoid or, you know, the, the, the farmhouse up north, all those things are really complicated. And if you want to do them, it takes so much planning. Um, that city that we built for turtles, um, it's pretty tricky. I mean, that took us like almost a year to build and it's still very limited um, even though it's kind of really huge. It's, it was the biggest set that Nickelodeon's ever made for a show and I was trying to make it four times bigger even though it was already ten times bigger than anything they ever built and they were kind of, you know, that was a fight. So, unfortunately, like, you know, if the show wasn't CG we would be doing so many bigger things but I think this show's bigger in a different way. Like, I think I was really open to CG, too, because to me it felt like uh, you could get things to feel more believable. And um, without getting into it, when animation works for me is when you're not aware of the style or when you you forget that you're watching actual animation and then you can kind of focus on the story. So um, the beautiful thing about CG is kind of like, you know, you can do you know, this thing does have reptile skin while that thing has hair. And, and that, that kind of beautiful stuff you don't get to do in 2D. Do you think that the
2: background limitations are, are less so in 2D because of the the freedom of being able to oh. draw more?
0: Oh, they're completely... I mean, there, there kind of is no limitation with 2D. I mean, the limitation is bound by your overseas studio getting upset and yelling at you, which they generally won't do. Um... I mean, I've worked on some pretty big 2D shows that were just ridiculous um, and, like, overwritten and huge, and they've always kind of worked because it comes down to just, you know, a gentleman agreement that you're going to hook this up with, you know, what are your studios, Korean or Japan, and just helping each other out. Like, CGs, I mean, just the lighting involved with a set is ridiculous and the textures. I mean, you're talking about, you know... If there's an awning on a window, you have to cover all four or five sides of it that are showing with a painted texture that you have to design and paint. So it's ridiculous. It's not like a comic book panel that can be, you know, an illustration that evokes some moves in a moment, you know? Yeah. And we try to do a little bit of that. I mean, but even that we're limited. We'll do a show and it's like, okay, well, they're driving across this expanse and all right, well, how many paintings can I get? And we crunch the numbers, and it's like, well, you're allowed to do two paintings, which would be like an illustration that, you know, it's like, here's the countryside, and here's a barn. And it's like, well, I need 16. Well, we can't afford that either, because, you know, someone has to draw it for a day, and then we have to paint it for a day, and then we have to comp it for a day, and it's just, it's really hard. I mean, like I said, I, I do finish a show every two weeks once I'm rolling. It's kind of like, I kind of liken this show production to kind of like a traveling puppet show. It's kind of like the Muppets. Like, you know, I got a bunch of puppets running around and we have a stage and we just try to entertain with what we have and it's a big magic trick.
6: Makes me wonder how uh, the show Reboot ever did all those new games every episode.
0: Sounds like the first CG show ever. Which one?
6: Reboot it was the first oh reboot
0: I thought you ever. meant to show the show reboot I go the reboot of what yeah no reboot well, I mean that was so much that was I think that's also like there was a certain agreement there like that studio was like it was their shot to do, so they kind of took it upon themselves, you know, but I do i get I get a couple sets per episode and sometimes we'll we'll not use them you know we'll go, hey, let's just be in the lair for a show because we have a good story that works for that. And then our next show, we'll have four sets because that's what we need. Bank,
2: banking was... your set fee, is <laughs> awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, you do it. It's it's basically like, you know, you get an allowance and how you spend it is up to you if you can swing it.
1: Let's stay in the lair for 23 episodes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And then you have so a I mean, film I mean, at the we, end of it. I mean, I, I've been I've been swindling a lot of side like we've been we've been figuring out a lot of ways to stretch the visuals to get enough different dynamic storytelling. And it's it's hard. I mean that's the hardest thing about CG production. It's really hard to write. Save some money. Have threat.
6: a have a twenty three episode martial arts tournament in one building. Save up all the scenes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah no that that actually uh but the thing is with the limitation that what i've noticed so far uh just to butt in here for a second is that when the turtles are out and about in the neighborhoods and all that stuff and i'm seeing these same you know shops that i've seen for the that i've seen throughout the first season and then like maybe a couple of new shops or whatever you know it does kind of also have this feeling that like everything this little um at least, especially when it comes to like the foot versus turtle stuff like the little feud like all that stuff seems to kind of happen in like the same neighborhood, you know, which kind of to yeah. me adds a little bit of realism to it because it's not like you know the Mirage Turtles are all like, well, we're gonna go to the East End and then we're gonna go fight the Foot up north, you know, that sort of thing. Like it, it was, uh well, it, it just yeah, feels like well, there's there's kind of a locality to it, you know, like the Turtles live. We in
0: did area. that early. I tried to. I tr- early on I had to make the decision to go, um, wh- you know, where do the Turtles live and what can I build and. What I really did was I looked at I looked at the first Mirage comic and went what was what was awesome about this comic when this comic was the only comic, potentially that would have ever happened, right? If it was said and done, it's its own little pocket universe, and it has a vibe, right and the vibe is kind of quaint. it doesn't even look like New York at that point. I don't think Kevin and Peter ever went to New York. Uh, it looked kind of like some weird version of Massachusetts. And, and a Jack Tur- Jack Kirby drawing mashed together. And and it was like, you know, it but it had this kind of uh familiarity and kind of quaintness and kinda of like, you know, the sense that it was kind of their stomping grounds. It was kind of grungy that way. That I kinda of liked. And and that that kinda of determined I, I pretty much decided then that it's like, well that's that's what the city should be for now. And a lot of people argue, like, what is this? Is it New York? Is it it, it Manhattan? Or is it Brooklyn? And it's like I kind of try not to kind of decide what it is. I mean, I definitely have... We have different areas that I did build. Like, one side's more like the West Village. There's there's part of the set that feels a little bit more like the East Village. We definitely have Chinatown parts. But even the Chinatown, like, feels more like San Francisco. Um, The West Village sometimes feels like the West Village, but then there's other parts that feel like Philadelphia because that's where I grew up, and and, it, and it's like, you, you just, it's about the vibe more. That being said, too, it also kind of works nicely with the idea that, like, you know, it's year one, so the turtles aren't allowed to kind of leave home that far, right? They're not even allowed to leave the lair when we first started the show, so if, what we tried to do was this idea of, like, building out and just kind of having a home base to start from. And you know the idea would be that if I ever could get to it, like if we made a feature, that's when we would start to build up like Midtown. So we're definitely kind of more of a downtown Brooklyn kind of vibe. Like the buildings don't go past like three stories high. Um, you know, if you see if you see the the high rises in the background, like what would be Midtown, we we, we don't get to travel there necessarily yet. Like if I was to build that stuff, it would be insane. Like it would be huge.
1: Yeah, and, and and those and while, are those are, those it's
0: are enormous builds.
1: Right, and while, and while that's, that's the one it's thing that's have, awesome uh, about.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, and 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 while it's not part of like your uh, your uh, inspiration or anything like that, like I've noticed also that like their local stomping grounds also feel kind of like. Um, Kind of like, uh, like the suburbs of like Chicago or whatever, which is closer to, uh, like I grew up in Indianapolis and like, so like the nearest like really huge city would be like Chicago. And like it kind of feels like almost like suburbs of Chicago where it starts to connect into like the real actual Chicago that everyone thinks about, you know, and that's pretty yeah. cool too.
0: I mean, we did stuff like it was really strategic. it would be like, but you have to understand like the limitations I dealt with weren't just technical limitations of c g it was the Nickelodeon pipeline where they were telling me we don't we we won't do something that way because that creates huge headaches now, things have changed since then, and that's great, but you know unfortunately, that footprint of the huge city that we have was was kind of laid down by the technical aspects of how Nickelodeon makes TV shows. Like, one of the great things about New York is that you'll have a city building and then there'll also be kind of around like a stoop or an alcove. Like, it'll be cut down in a stairwell going down into the sidewalk to like another store down underneath the sidewalk level. Well, that's something I couldn't do. Like, I can't cut into the ground. There was all these rules like... Of what you can and can't do and how you can build it because because it's complicated, you know? I mean, you'd be amazed, like, how hard it was just to build a city I had. Like, when we first built the city together, um, I would get it back and the light poles, like, you know, the, the city, the street lights would be, like, four feet tall and the trash cans would float in the middle of the street and be six feet tall. And I'd be <laughs> like, what the hell? You know, what the fuck happened? You know, and they'll be like, oh, we'll fix it. And then it was like... I mean it was a, it's incredibly impossible and um you know just the idea of building ploys to make it look like the, the 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 storefronts had an actual store inside and all those cheats was incredibly painstaking it was a nightmare um the way we build sets now is so much more advanced now that we've kind of taken off on our own and in a way the Nickelodeon production model doesn't really affect, you know, the way Turtles runs itself anymore. But we're still limited in that, like, we still have that allowance. But it's different. Like, we'll spend a set credit now where where usually it could be like, hey, this is a city block. Now we spend it on, like, a sewer grate. Like, we'll build a little set that is, like, the corner of a street and, like, a manhole so that we can do it for close-ups and it's beautiful. So, you know, and things like like the Shell Razor, just to put it into context, I think the Shell Razor was the equivalent of six sets. So when I say like I get an allowance of two sets per show, the, the, that Shell Razor exterior and interior was about six. So, you know, it's, it's kind of insane that I've actually been able to pull off what I have given just TV production. And this is probably you know, too much information for this podcast. But it's, I mean, that's kind of just the handicap of doing on a show like this. We'll do, we'll do stuff like, hey, let's, that, that show where they fought the shredder on top of a building. We just built the top of a building and painted the rest of it because just building the light that said Wolf Hotel or whatever already spent our whole set budget. Right. So, um,
1: it's crazy, uh, basically, right. So, uh, Colton, I know, I know, uh, you've probably been itching to say something for a while. Uh, you, you wanna go ahead and pop in with questions or whatever?
6: Sure. Well, I was originally gonna ask some stuff about 4Kids, TMT, influence, and whatnot, but I think we kinda covered that, so, uh, I started thinking about others, what we could discuss about the show, and, uh, well, it reminded me of another show. Uh, one of my favorite show cartoons of all time was, uh, Disney's Gargoyles. May it rest in peace. Uh huh. Oh, Disney. Anyways, uh, the the potential romance between Donnie and April kind of reminded me of the romance between Goliath and Elisa. Much like that relationship, was there any opposition either from fans or the bosses of even implying it, much less any thoughts of
0: actually going through with such a pairing? (laughs) I mean, uh, I I, I like shipping. It's fine. Um, I don't think my bosses here had anything to say about it. I think they just, at the time, my boss was uh, Brown Johnson, who I think she just thought it was cute. Um, uh, in terms of the fans, I think, I, you know, hasn't it always kind of been a thing where all the turtles kind of were in love with April? I mean, I, I, I seem to remember, yeah, I mean, and, and I, Raphael I kind crush, of, especially. I felt that crush kind of existed in the first movie, especially. Oh,
4: definitely. Yeah,
0: the Raph, the Raph April crush was huge in the first movie. Um, but I mean, you know, it, it to me, it was kind of also, um, when I was looking at all the archetypes of these characters, it was kind of like the April thing, I think, conveniently went more to the guy that needed it the most. And to me, um, there, there were so many ideas for these turtles, just so you guys know, that, that kind of came and went or, or or turned into something or transformed into something else. At one point, it was Raphael that had a crush on her. At one point, I mean, the the huge... My first pitch for the show wasn't even about the Turtles. It was about April. Because when I came in and they wanted, they said, okay, well, what's your pitch? I said, well, here's, you know... I said, well, what do you mean? And they go, well, what about the Turtles? I go, well, what do you mean? The Turtles are the Turtles. I'm not doing anything with them. They're just... They are what they are. They've always been who they are. I always thought that their personalities are pretty cemented. And... um I think they found that kind of interesting. And, and what I did pitch more was April O'Neil and who she was. And at that time, it was... Uh, my early pitch was, April's like this, that's why Donnie likes her. April's also like this, and that's why Mikey likes her. You know what I mean? And I went through all the turtles about how they dealt with April. So in the beginning, it was all of them had a crush on her. And she <laughs> was like the girl that they... And in the beginning, I, I don't know if I should say this... Um, this is crazy, but Splinter was dead in my show. And oh. Oh. What, what Yeah, what ah. the show actually... And, and Nick, Nick wasn't into it. But what the show was was basically... It being year one was basically... Splinter dies. We don't see it on camera, but Splinter has just recently passed away. And the turtles now, for the first time, because they have no other... Nothing else to do and they're kind of lost, have to... For the first time, lit, like travel above the sewer and, and go on, you know, and, and join the human world in some capacity. And when they do that, the first person they meet is April. And April then ends up becoming kind of this surrogate emotional thing that they cling to that replaces their loss of, of Splinter, if that makes any sense. Splinter it kind of almost reminds me
6: of a later Mirage, kind of like a Volume 4, I believe, when uh, they kind of moved out into the real world.
0: Yeah, yeah, and Splinter kind of ended up living on, you know, kind of the way, you know, the ghost of Obi-Wan would live on. He would have been in every episode, but it would have been through memories. Not necessarily like a glowing blue ghost, but, you know, they would recall his teachings and stuff. So he still would have felt like he was there, even though he was dead. <laughs> kind of like the uh, blue
6: flame shredder from the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or the the blue flame Splinter. Yeah, they, but there <laughs> there was... But there, but there was like, <laughs> that's, that's you not know, like, shredder Make that. <laughs> th- but it was, uh, it was, uh, it, it was, it was hard. Like you know, like trying to pick one of these things. And I think ultimately, it got simplified down to the character that was most creative, got April, because to me it was like she was kind of his muse. So he was the guy that could do something and go, Hey April, check this out! Isn't you know, don't you like this? Or Hey April, look at this! You inspire this. Or Hey April, I did this for you. Um, the other characters kind of had too much of their own thing, or so they were they were too preoccupied with other stuff to for them to be that. Um, in the beginning, Raphael actually had a lot of hobbies. The one the one thing that April and Raph had in common was their love of art, which was weird and like. I mean, it came from, I mean, Raph, to me, was always kind of the graffiti guy, and that was one of the things he bonded with with Casey. But um, he was, like, into photography, and he was into, you know, architecture, and he would go and hang out in the city with April, and they would talk and find out about stuff. And so they, they all had their things. They, she would cook with Mikey, and they liked gross food, and they would clown around. They all had a thing together. Hmm. She would work out with Leo. It was weird. But, I mean, you know, it's weird now that she's, you know, that, that Donnie's in love with her. Only, but it works well. I think. Uh,
5: uh, oh, before yeah. I went it's not, I just remembered a joke I heard on YouTube recently. Someone made a joke that um, April on the show is kind of like Cameron Diaz's character, and something about Mary.
0: Maybe. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't hear that. The I didn't. I didn't hear that. I mean, I didn't. I never said that. I mean, someone must have. I mean, in the, in the way that everyone's chasing her around, I guess I don't know, um, or just how like quirky she is. She has some similar mannerisms. I mean, early on, the version that I was telling you where they were all in love with her for some reason, she my influence was actually Gwyneth Paltrow in the Royal Tenenbaums.
2: <laughs> right, that man.
0: <laughs> where she was like this girl, and everybody was kind of strangely in love with her, and she was mysterious, but she was like a genius and was like remarkable in so many ways but kind of like aloof and hard to get a handle on and you know all the good things that come with that she used to she used to have this signature thing that she would carry like a she had like a radio that she would carry with her all the time like a little red radio which actually shows up in the end of I think in the end of the first movie like in in 102 the, the rise of the turtles or whatever that radio survived and it's like sitting on her She'd six in on her window still. When the turtles were talking to her, it's the only thing that ever worked with that radio. Kind of forgot to use it again.
2: It was was she always intended on being a teenager then?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we toyed around with her age. I mean, my pitch was always that, just because it made more sense to pull her into the action. I didn't want her to have a day job. Right. That's really what it was. I mean, in all in, in all actuality, she's still April. I mean, the fact the fact that she's sixteen is only a number. I mean it's just it's actually easier she doesn't have to go to work exactly, yeah, she's you know a little bit more rubbery
2: I it actually it's interesting that you say it like that, and now it makes far more sense than I think post the show or pre the show coming out, people's apprehension to the idea was was pretty big, like they were worried that the teenager what is this blasphemy, and uh yeah, no, it definitely it definitely makes sense if you put it simply as that.
0: You got to understand too that my my whole if I could end this thing right it would be I mean you know that April in the Fred Wolf show or the April in the movies is the same April that we know it's just she just met the turtles younger and they're the same characters Casey Jones definitely is the same character I'm just kind of catching up with them earlier but like, you know, everyone's upset about the hockey mask, everyone's upset about Casey being young, everyone's upset about April being young. They they get upset about things because I get it, like it's you're protective of it and what's this new thing that I don't understand that's coming out of left field, but it's you know, you do what works and you know, no one's gonna watch a show about kids kids don't wanna really watch a show about an old lady. No. I like which what they perceive as an old lady. Like and she's gonna be like she has a job at a as a as a as a news girl like I I think you know early on there was a lot of focus like let's make April have like a blog and then we thought well that's just kind of weighs her down who even cares like you know it doesn't matter she's just she's just April her personality is more important than what she does um, can she get a job later as like a as as a you know a TV newscaster probably I mean you know will she wear a a yellow jumpsuit someday? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I, but then again, it's like people also freak out about the yellow jumpsuit, but no one talks about the fact that like in the Mirage comics, she had like a Jerry curl, you know, it's like crazy. Like, I mean, April, April at one point was, uh, I think originally blonde when I talked to Kevin about it in his mind. (laughs) She was, yep.
2: The average person two so, tone black and white. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in that in the first issue where she's with Baxter, or the first issue, which is like issue two, um, uh you know, she she doesn't I don't think she had she didn't have black hair. She had like she had a ponytail and I think she was supposed to be blonde. Um you know, Casey too, like I mean I I've had so many conversations with Kevin about what Casey is and it's like I don't think anybody knows some of this stuff. All I, for, all I want is for want is for more gungala. That's all I have. Yeah, gungala's in there. And the whole thing with calabunga too, like, you know, I don't know. Calabunga's fine. Oh, no, I,
4: really, I really like that Casey's design doesn't have front teeth. And there was uh it was, there was the one throwaway line about as ridiculous as a turtle in a trench coat, which I very <laughs> much appreciated. That that was nice.
5: <laughs> well you know what I kinda liked? I kinda like the couple of times Michael I did a References to, gla- to grappling hooks. I thought that was cute. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what's okay. that? What's that? I Sorry. Know,
5: actually, actually, no, I just remember the one line. It's like, I was busy polishing my grappling hook.
0: Oh, yeah, that's straight out of that weird dream demon episode thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got that from the Fred Wolf show. I mean, sometimes we'll pop that show in and be like, I can't believe they just said that, and then we'll put it up on the wall. Ah, uh, the grappling hook. I mean, he, look was look actually, that. he was actually... We were, we were going to... um. What was I going to say? I just had a thought. It just escaped me. I mean, the evolution of this show is, you know, the weird thing is, is that there's what I wanted to do when I was on it alone, and then it's evolved into now me, and there's 96 people or so on this crew. Damn. And everyone, to a certain point, has taken ownership of it. You know what I mean? So it's a big share fest. Um, so it's hard. A lot of times stuff's out of my control. I do have the fortune of working with a really good friend of mine, on the stories, which, which is great. And I think we're just trying to have fun. Um, I think everyone's going to be kind of really surprised where the show kind of ends up going. I mean, part of me, I don't want it to get dark because I think that's a mistake, but I mean, will I get serious from time to time? Yeah. I mean, does it arc a lot? I I think it will. Um, I think tonally it does start to change a little bit from what season one was. And I think even season one, you see glimmers of that. Like, I think we have some pretty kick-ass shows. Um, It's just, you know, you can't do it all the time because it just gets too heavy, and I think you lose your audience. I think people also just want to have fun. Um, I did think Mikey was too stupid in the beginning. But, you know, (laughs) stuff comes out a certain way, and you can't help it, you know? Like, you just, like, you know, there's a lot of people working on stuff, and you go, like, the first thing I, I would do in the first season when I would edit the shows is my first pass when I would edit them was was um, the Mikey stupid pass and I would go through and remove all the lines that made Mikey really dumb um, and, and I took a lot out sometimes I would take out 40 seconds from an episode where he was just saying dumb stuff like ridiculous stuff and then it's not as easy as just going like, well now let's just kind of write him smart because you have to go like, well we already have all these shows where he was kind of stupid and we have to kind of like now evolve him into like that's his personality but not an idiot. And uh so it's tricky. I mean, you know, everything's tricky. Every character on this show's tricky especially if, it's almost impossible if you compare it to past incarnations.
3: Will we see Mikey the writer as he became in the Mirage material?
0: Uh... We don't have plans for that yet. I mean we have Mikey definitely has the I mean we definitely put in bits of that in that he's he's kind of the most creatively motivated one. You know, he's the guy that reads comics and watches horror movies all the time. And he has the most fertile imagination. I mean I don't know if we need to show him writing. (laughs) I'm not sure. It's different yeah, it's a different medium. I don't know how that plays in, in a cartoon other than he's sitting there writing and he says, i got a new story. You know, uh, this kind
6: of uh, relates to my last question. Uh, what would you say is the most important aspect of each of the Turtles, Master Splinter, and April? And who do you have a personal favorite among the group?
0: Uh, the most important aspect of these guys is uh, that, jeez, uh, well, you know, they each have their own personalities, there's that, but I mean, what makes them important is kind of the bigger thing that kind of ends up, it's hard to say without knowing where you're going, and ultimately, like, I haven't been able to kind of nail down where the show ends. Until the show ends, I can't find that one important thing, you know what I mean? Uh, What I hope to do with the show is kind of have closure and end it, just close it. Like, whereas other shows kind of just, they're interchangeable, I am trying to, to sneakily kind of have it be a definitive storyline that closes. And if someone wants, they can reboot it and start it up as like Neo Nick Turtles or something. But, but you know, that being said, they do have their archetypes and who they are. I mean, to me, they're all the same person. I don't know if this is too abstract, but they're all different shades of aspects of one personality. Like the unity of the four brothers like that family is they're, they're just turtles and you have the angry turtle the big hearted turtle the leader turtle the neurotic turtle the smart turtle the inventor turtle they all they all can share these different aspects and they're all valid um in terms of who April is April's April's kind of the catalyst I mean April's 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 the audience to me April's the person that April is the surrogate audience member she's the one who learned about the Turtles as the audience was learning about the Turtles and that's what makes her really important. I think she's always been that. She's, she represents the non-humans who love Turtles, the non-turtle, the non-mutant that loves the turtle and is trying to understand them. You know, you, know dice, you can slice up her personality however you want. That's her sole purpose. That's um, her first purpose. And, you know, Splinter's easy. Splinter's, Splinter's the, you know, the father figure. Splinter's the control. Like, when all's going wrong, they can always count on going back to him and there's a certain safety there. And I think we've done that. Like, Splinter is home. Without Splinter, they're not a family. Um, I actually really like the way Splinter turned out. Splinter might be my favorite. Because oh. he defines them a little bit. You know, like, the turtles, like I said, are... act. They, they function for me more as a group that, like, any one turtle... If alone, I kind of miss the other three, you know? Like, I can't pull a favorite turtle. But Splinter for some somehow elevates and, you know, kind of changes the group. And specifically, I think for this show, Splinter, you know, is unique and, and adds a whole different element that we've never seen because he's the first time that, you know, he, he's been the more active, useful leader. I understand. Uh,
6: thanks for answering my question.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I mean. This is how I relate to those guys. If you ask me who my favorite is, day to day, like I, I wear so many hats on this job that, as corny as it sounds, I think of a turtle. I go, oh, it's a you know, it's a Leonardo time. Or I go like, okay, sir you need to draw, you know, you need to draw this vehicle, and I go, okay, it's Donatello time, and I literally sit down and draw, and I think I'm Donatello. Like we even use my drawings as Donatello's blueprints in the show because we already have them done. So, I mean, it's that weird. Or if I get pissed off, I saw one, I'm Raphael. Or I'm annoyed, you know what I mean? And, you know, there's days where I screw around and I'm Mikey. Like, it, it, those four characters are inside me all the time. I can't really see them as... Uh, I can't pick a favorite, and I don't really see them as individuals as much. You know, it's, it's a about, hive mind. It's not a hive mind as much as it is, like, the essence of camaraderie. Like, those guys are a group. They're brothers. That's what they are. And they're also an elite killing team, which is what I really love about them. I mean, I think they're so... I mean, you know, part of my trick, and and a lot of people got really upset about the character designs. I I made those characters extremely appealing so that I can get away with them being murderous, homicidal freaks. (laughs) (laughs) If if I made them look tough, guess what? They would have said dumb shit and done dumb stuff and probably... I get the note now, you know. I, I get this note where it's like... You guys are being too violent because it's happened since the, sh- the show's kind of evolved and the monsters and creatures we've been making are looking more realistic. But when that started, I've been getting more censorship because they're saying, you guys, the show's looking too good. It's getting too scary or that's looking too real. But, you know, Raphael can that walk be a good up thing? to something and stab it in the head. No, it's, it is, but I get I get a different set of of notes because of it. The turtles looking kind of like toys kind of allowed me to have them do stuff like stab the crank in the head and stuff. I ultimately used those, and those those Utram setups where it's like, you know, the Utams where they had the, the, the brain character in the belly of a, of a, of a, of a, of a droid. I did that because, you know, the, the, the big rule in animation is that you can't have headshots. And I actually, you know, fought tooth and nail and convinced the network that in our show on a Krang, the head is literally kind of a gut shot and that you can't punch the characters in the stomach because that's where the head is. So then all of a sudden we became the first show where like the the head's fair game. You know, like we, We've we bent so many rules and censorship
5: for animation.
0: It, it's, been, it's been a nightmare but it's, it's all worked and everyone's been, you know, Nick's actually been really good about it. I, it blew my mind that I've gotten away with what I have. And they're they good sports. Huh. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and that, I don't know.
1: And that, and that's all like pretty awesome stuff. I know you uh I know you've talked a lot about uh like uh the, the censorship and whatnot and how you've gotten around it and everything. It, it it's always really interesting every time I hear it. Um but uh one, one thing I kinda wanted to throw in also is, you know, earlier we were talking a bit. About, uh, authenticity and stuff like that. And, uh, and like how to make things feel, you know, uh, e- even in, like in a more cartoony sense or an animation sense, still there's some sort of like realness to it. And, uh, back at, uh, PowerCon, me and you talked for a while about, uh, about, uh, like, uh, how you used to go visit, like, the, visit, like, a local dojo and you put, like, Bujitsu into it and, uh, talked a little bit about a question that was asked of you about, like, the turtles being treated uh, it's sort of like uh, second-generation Japanese and uh, things like that. And uh, going off of all that, uh, one thing that we talked a little bit about, what I wanted to ask someone about was, uh, you know, how you've been able to sneak some Japanese language into the show already uh, in the first season mm-hmm. and a little bit more so far. And uh, the uh, <clears throat> and I was wondering uh, how like. Have you had any uh, real difficulties getting that into the show, uh, whether it be uh, in terms of, like, making it really authentic in case someone translated it or notes from above or anything like that? Like, uh, where where are you going with that and what kind of trouble may have you had so far?
0: Uh, it's been pretty simple. I mean, that's that's. I think the network's been really good about that stuff, cause, but we've also kind of been pretty good about not doing it to the point where it doesn't make sense. Like, you know, I don't have the characters running around saying, like, kawaii or always she all the time, which, you know, can lose an audience. Like, some words that are very common in Japanese. We thought early, like, hey, we could start using that as kind of like their own weird slang. But, um, you know, there's the idea that, like, well, how did they learn English? Did they watch TV? Or. So it's like you have these. Turtle mutants that live underground that have never come above ground that were raised by a rat who spoke Japanese first that watched TV. What's their language like? And you kind of just can't really do that because they'll end up talking like, the their speaking will just be so alien it won't make any sense. So it, it just kind of came like I think the original writers were really good about just just keeping it within the realms of their martial arts so that it felt like hey, they're dropping martial arts knowledge, and it's okay. But, you know, the other thing, the thing that I've been trying to do has been more visual, like, hey, these guys will eat ramen. I thought it was like, in the beginning, I was trying to have them eat something besides pizza. Um, you know, their dojo and their whole lair has trappings of just a Japanese-American home. They have, like, a ramen, and they have Norin curtains and things like that. Um... Going in the second season, I wanted to do, I decided like, hey, let's try it again. Let's kind of try and come up with some unique turtle words that were almost like mishmashes of, there were words we were going to make up that were almost kind of, you know, these combinations of kind of a vibe, like, 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 heck yeah, but also a Japanese word. Or even something as simple as, like, in Heroes, the one character would say, yata, you know, like, something like, what's that word that they could say that would catch on that people can kind of accept that is also, you know, really popular in Japan? And it just kind of, it kind of ended up not being really worth it. So we've been trying to just kind of keep things more in the context of they know, they have tradition, they've been raised as traditional Japanese American kids, but they don't really necessarily have to speak Japanese, um, Now, we do go... I did decide to go far in the other direction, we actually do have Shredder and Splinter have some conversations in Japanese. And actually, Tiger Claw speaks Japanese, so that'll be interesting, for which we're going to have to subtitle them. And uh, I'm not sure quite yet that the network realizes what we're doing. I think they realized and they thought it was cool, but I'm not sure what the reality of it's going to be once they actually watch it. Um... Where there's a couple lines actually spoken in 100% Japanese, and we have a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of Japanese people on my crew, so we always have, you know, our own kind of resident fluent Japanese people checking things for us. It's pretty interesting. Um, and I have a lot, I have a lot of Japanese friends, so it kind of comes into the show a lot. I just, I just wish, I mean, I think it looks Japanese. I just don't think we made them speak proper Japanese. And then I I also have friends that speak Japanese well, but they're Americans, and, and I also have Japanese friends, too, that, you know, I've spoken to, and they go, well, you know, it's kind of, it'd be kind of lame if you just had them talking Japanese. It's kind of posery.
6: Hmm. You know, you
0: kind of want them to be their own characters, and I kind of thought about that, and I went, yeah, you know, you kind of have a point, like, you know, at a certain point, it's like, are, what are we doing? Are we what are we trying like is it cool to be Japanese or is it like some step it fetch it thing like if it comes out wrong it can be kind of weird what is the Japanese word for poser you know, <laughs> Japanese word for poser I don't know <laughs> but Japanese word for nerd group. is otaku so I don't know
6: I've
0: never had a poser I'm not sure poser which, is a, which is a very
6: nice way of saying house if you didn't know
0: yes. get Felipe they have
6: you
0: he knows they have a we have Felipe Smith on our crew who's you know not uh, Japanese, but it's fluent in Japanese, and he lived in Tokyo, so sometimes we talk to him about it. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he did Pipo He's a guy, yeah.
1: Yeah, really nice guy, too. He was also a power con. I talked his head off for a while.
0: <sighs> I mean, what, um, I, what yeah. I would love... I, I, I love when we do stuff and it's like you set the table for it and go, now we're going to speak Japanese, and then you just kind of do it and you go for it. And there it is, face value. It's just straight Japanese. And we just try to make sure we have the characters pronounce it properly as best as we can because, you know, we can't really control actors. Uh, But, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you know, uh, the idea of creating a new language was kind of hard just with the speed at which we're trying to make this show. You could always opt
6: for a uh, secondary voice actor for the Japanese. scene's like, Shredder has this regular voice actor, and then suddenly he's voiced by Kinshiro from Pist of the North Star.
0: Oh, well, dude, I mean, in the beginning, I mean, everybody we're trying to cast, I mean, it kind of sucks. Everyone we tried to cast was Japanese, and we couldn't get them. Like, originally, uh, originally we had, you you know, my original picks, because someone I mentioned earlier, that you guys loved uh or that you loved the casting. My original casting for Shredder was Sugi, who was in all those eighties Japanese uh or the you know, their eighties ninja films. And my original Ooh. casting for Splinter was actually Shinichi Chiba Chiba, Sunny Chiba, who was really? the Street Fighter. Yeah, oh. and I spent, basically, they were the last guys I cast because I spent almost an entire year going back and forth trying to get them to do it. And what ended up happening was Sokosugi um, wasn't available. He lives in Tokyo, and that is its own nightmare. Oh, yeah. yeah. But although his son was here, and I was trying to figure out how to make that work, but I just couldn't get it to happen. And then um, Sonny Chiba lives in a small island of, of Tokyo, and apparently he like doesn't even have the Internet. And when I kind of brought up, like, because he was in Kill Bill, I go, well, you know, they would tell me, like, well, he doesn't even really speak English. And I go, well, his English was good in Kill Bill. It turns out that actually most of his lines had to be looped, which was like re recorded and dubbed by this guy who I didn't want to use, Keone Young, who was Korean, and uh, who actually is a really well known animation voice actor, too. Um,. And I went, oh. Because they said, why don't you just use Keone? I go, no, I want to use a Japanese guy. I want Sunny Chiba. It came back around a year later. They're like, hey, Keone did all of Sunny Chiba's lines in Kill Bill. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 but used Keone. I, I used Keone before, though, but I, I love Sunny Chiba. I love those guys. I mean, to me that, And then when we drew, I drew those 2D flashbacks um, in the show, Like I, I ink and draw those. Um, I don't always draw them like a lot of talented guys on the crew. There's Rie and Byron. Um, a bunch of people sometimes will pencil them rough or sometimes kind of clean. Um, but I usually ink them. But the original designs and stuff, we base them on literally those guys. Uh, Hamato Yoshi is Sunny Chiba. And, I mean, there's aspects of them. And um, we were inspired by uh, uh, Orokusaki, was Shokasugi. And you can see it, like in that first. The first two-parter, and in episode three, where we see those flashbacks with Tank Shen and all that stuff, you, you can see that it's those guys. That's,
6: that's if awesome. You, <laughs> if you do ever want to cast uh, his son Ken Kasugi, uh he actually does have some experience in voiceover because he was a uh, Ninja Black and Ninja Sentai Ranger, and they have to voice over the suits.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, but I just I don't know what happened there. Like I'm telling you, there's a this company is a huge machine, and I mean, finding, like, getting casting to cooperate, like, they hate me. Like, basically, like, the the casting department has a super headache when it comes to me because they'll just go, hey, use this guy who does that all the time, and I get it because those guys are professional voice actors and they're really good at their jobs. But for me, it's kind of like I'll have an idea in my head, like, there's, like, a nuance of who this actor is or who this character is, and I want that actor to do it. All well, well, like I'm I'd asking use, is, been, for right, now, well, right now, we've been tearing, but they're non voice actors, so it gets hard, like, because the actors will sometimes will come in and be like, oh, this is the first time I've ever done voice work, and then the, diver- the, the voice directors and stuff, you know, it's, it's hard for them because you're, you're kind of going against the current of how things get done in the system properly or, or, or swiftly. And so, like, this show has been kind of dubbed like the Quentin Tarantino animation show. Because in terms of our casting, like, before John Travolta was John Travolta again, like, you know, he ended up being in Pulp Fiction and just dug out from, like, under a rock. Like, we had, we've used all kinds of actors on our show. I don't know if I can name them, but, I mean, we've been tearing through, I'm a huge horror fan, so we've been tearing through basically every one of, like, my favorite horror movies and casting actors. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, like, even, like, like, John Carpenter's Halloween. Like, I'll go, like, hey, let's get PJ Souls in the show. Who's like, a blonde girl that gets stabbed in <laughs> Halloween. No one knows, really, who PJ Souls is anymore. But I love PJ Souls. So I'm, like, and people go, who? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> or, like, you so, know, we use Machete. Like, we use, you know, Danny Trejo. Like, they thought I was insane for bringing Danny in. should
3: get Doug Bradley.
0: Yeah, no, Doug Bradley's on the list. Trust me.
1: Awesome.
3: Because we're actually um, working on that.
1: In, in Court, the oh, one thing that... Uh, Brad Dourif.
0: <laughs> Brad Dourif's on the list.
1: Oh, sweet.
4: I, know, I Robert stoked.
0: Englund, all these guys.
4: I was stoked to hear Lewis Black.
0: That yeah, oh, Lewis yeah. Black, I mean, they're all weird guys.
4: Yeah,
5: yeah.
1: See. The, uh, one, one thing that I, I kind of thought of while we were talking about this was, uh, something I kind of wanted uh, to, th- have you throw out there on record, uh, is it, about, uh, Murakami, uh, and, uh, uh, one, I miss him and I want to see him again. Hopefully we'll see him soon. Uh, but question being, uh, where did you get that name from for the character? Over-
0: Murakami is my, you know, you work in animation long enough that what you do is, um, and it's a total gesture, it's a loving gesture, kind of. You basically draw your friends and make fun of them and put them in a show, and either you flush their head down a toilet or you blow them up, or you make them blind ramen master. And so Murakami is Glenn Murakami, who, you know was the art director with Bruce Timm for years on all the Batman shows and Justice League and was was actually the producer for Teen Titans and and is now producing uh, uh, Beware the Batman. So that's actually Glenn Murakami. And it actually looks a lot like Glenn Murakami. The only thing we didn't do was actually, I made it look like him but not sound like him.
1: So then, like, uh, because a lot of people, they think, you know, Murakami, Wolf Swenson, you know, that sort of thing, the 80s cartoon. (laughs) So, that's kind of why I wanted to throw that out there.
0: No, I know. They all think that, and it's like, it's fine. I, I just, like, they're so... But that's everybody thinks they know everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes I don't even want to correct them, because I'm just kind of like, ah, eh, let them think they know everything. Fine. Well, they can get because far they do the cap, you know. <laughs> I, 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 um... Um... I and mean, what's funny is we always go through everybody on the crew and like kind of try to put them somewhere in the show. I mean there's 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 food restaurants, there's noodle companies, there's, there's every character on the show or you know, storefront is named after somebody on the show or somebody we've worked with. That happens all the time. Who is the homeless guy? The homeless guy actually is is nobody.
4: Yeah,
0: the homeless guy was just is kinda awesome actually. Um <laughs> unfortunately, you know, and we still don't have the the budget to make people to walk around the city. It's kinda too bad. But, I noticed you know. yeah, that is that is the
1: one thing that that is the one thing that people uh like like when I'm watching with my girlfriend or my brother or whatever. Uh that that is the one thing that we always kinda of tend to joke about a little bit is it's just kinda of like, wow, the Shuttle razor takes up both lanes and it doesn't hit anything. And there's and there's yeah. not that many people around and that sort of thing, which we understand why, because in terms of like budget, and there's, and there's no things of time and whatnot. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's like there's like there's like two now.
6: Uh it's like where the hell is and the police. They share this,
1: they share the same car, you know, which like I'm, we we understand in terms of like the work that goes into this show why, but we we still like to joke about it every once in a while when we're watching the show.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you know, trust me. I, I that's the that's one of the first things you have to kind of let go of and go well, screw it. it, sucks. I mean, I when I when I worked on Avengers, I had like we did an episode with this guy. uh, Gravitron like lifts the Brooklyn Bridge like out of Manhattan and there was like all these scenes with like hundreds of people running and screaming and that show had like no budget and it's amazing like I can't do that now like at all, like I can't even get like I can't even get an old lady crossing the street it drives me nuts
4: <laughs> I think it's a worthy investment for every person that isn't on the streets we can have a homeless guy vomit up a radioactive squirrel I think yeah. that's a fair trade off from where I'm sitting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, there's also a thing, too, where it's like, there are parts of New York where if you are out at four in the morning, no one's on the streets.
1: Right. And the, Definitely Philadelphia and the turtles then to, do tend to you know when possible you know operate in more fringe areas like alleyways and parking lots and and rooftops and things like that where you know the only kind of people you may find are like the homeless guy or you know people that you don't really want to run into in the first place yeah Alright everybody, thank you for listening to the Shell Shock TMNT podcast. Hopefully, uh, we'll catch you for our next episode.
2: Are we all still here?
5: That was amazing. Oh, he was—he was adorable. Yeah, Dude, he was, was a nice guy. Cool. He
4: was cool.
5: I was gonna—I was ready to—I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to talk to him a little bit about, about Philadelphia. I'm like, I don't want to waste—I don't want to waste oh, any more time. No, I can just.
4: You know, I'm kicking myself like... for not having asked you out for a drink at New York. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's do one after um after I premiere the 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 Mona Lisa episode. Ooh, sweet! That'll be a fun episode. <laughs> I will buy
4: you all the drinks.
0: I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's it's real goongala here these days. Goongala. <laughs> goongala. Gotcha. I, I had a I felt a horrible cough coming
5: up. Uh, They didn't want to ruin it halfway through.
4: Die for the mute. (laughs) Die for the mute.
0: (laughs) What's good is, like, you know, there's the day in and day out and, like, the chore of work. And it's really hard, but I love it. So, but then it's like, you know, you guys are bringing stories out of me where it's like, you know, like, part of it's like the nostalgia of what I've been through making this show but it's also like you know I I remember why I love it so much so it's been really great